Hello, and welcome to this audio edition of Philip Husher's program notes for upcoming concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I'm Rich Caparella. Concerts by the CSO on Thursday the 27th through Saturday the 29th feature Riccardo Muti conducting a program of Vivaldi and Handel featuring soloists from the orchestra. The program includes three concertos by Vivaldi and after intermission, Water Music Suite No. 1 by Handel. Here are program notes on concertos by Vivaldi by Philip Pusher. The most original, popular, and influential Italian composer of his time, Vivaldi was very quickly forgotten. Within a hundred years of his death, he had achieved the ultimate fate of most composers, oblivion. After he was finally rediscovered in the early 20th century and eventually became one of the most performed of all composers again, he often was written off as excessively prolific and facile. Stravinsky famously dismissed his entire career as the same concerto 400 times, an assessment that was not just unkind, but also unfair. We now know that he wrote more than five, not 400 concertos. In addition to operas, he once claimed 94, no doubt with characteristic exaggeration, some 20 survive, cantatas and trio sonatas. Vivaldi began his career as a violin virtuoso. He studied with his father, who played at the great St. Mark's Basilica in Venice, but he also prepared for the priesthood and took holy orders at the age of 25. He soon became known as the Red Priest after the color of his hair. That same year, he accepted a job as music director, violin teacher, and composer at the Ospedale della Pieta, a Venetian orphanage for girls, a post he would keep for nearly the remainder of his life. Today, the Metropole, a five-star luxury hotel, occupies part of the building that once housed the Ospedale, its fine antiques and fortuny fabrics quite at odds with the monastic accommodations that the resident girls, as many as 4,000 in the early 18th century, knew as their only home. Sited in a prime spot on the Riva degli Schiavone, the broad seaside promenade that begins to the right of St. Mark's Square as you face the piazza arriving by water, the Pietà was one of four large Venetian institutions dedicated to the care of orphaned children and specializing in their musical upbringing. Unlike the others, the Pietà accepted all illegitimate infants who were left by their mothers at the entrance provided the child was still small enough to fit in the scafetta, the box placed by the door. Of the four Venetian institutions, the Pietà was the one with the most substantive music program. It became known as one of Europe's most highly regarded centers for musical training, a conservatory in everything but name. Vivaldi's relationship with the Pietà was tumultuous, resulting in a series of firings and rehirings, but in the end, he worked there for more than 35 years. It was the place for which he wrote much of his output, and its young residents, carefully trained under his eye, were the musicians who first played and sang several of his best-known compositions. At the height of his career, Vivaldi was as highly regarded as any living composer, including J.S. Bach, who admired Vivaldi's music, copied out several of his scores for performance, and arranged others for different instruments. 
Vivaldi's apparent specialty was the concerto, which he composed in abundance and with unusual ease, even by his own standards. Vivaldi claimed he could compose a concerto faster than a scribe could copy it. Vivaldi is said to have established the conventional three-movement Baroque concerto form. He didn't invent it, but by constant use from one work to the next and with endless variety in its handling, he certainly set in place the pattern others would follow for decades to come. He's also the first composer to make regular use of ritornello form, the use of a repeating refrain in which different but related keys for all the instruments alternating with freer modulating passages that are dominated by the soloist. It was the publication in Amsterdam in 1711 of a concerto of 12 concertos for one or more violins called Lestro Armonico, harmonic inspiration is the most common translation, that first spread Vivaldi's name throughout Europe. It became the best-selling music title of the early 18th century. Bach admiringly copied and arranged six of these concertos for organ or harpsichord, turning the opening work on this program, Vivaldi's B minor concerto for four violins, into a concerto for four harpsichords in A minor. Four of the concertos in Lestero Armonico call for four solo violins. The B minor concerto is the best known. It also includes passages for solo cello. Composing for four identical solo instruments presents a number of challenges. Later composers preferred fewer instruments of contrasting character, Mozart's Sinfonia Concertante for violin and viola, Beethoven's Triple Concerto for violin, cello and piano, Brahms' double concerto for violin and cello. But Vivaldi is extraordinarily ingenious in the variety in which he handles his four violins. There is a celebrated section in the second movement, marked Larghetto, in which, measure after measure, they each arpeggiate the same chords at the same time in different ways. Much of the time, Vivaldi treats the concerto as a four-way conversation, with soloists exchanging musical phrases, tossing ideas back and forth, and sometimes all speaking at once. The architectural pattern is classic Vivaldi, with two dazzling virtuosic outer movements surrounding slower music. But here the central slow movement is a unique design, a solemn, stately opening section eventually gives way to the rippling chords of the Larghetto. At the same time, Vivaldi was standardizing the concerto format. He was also finding ways to bend his own rules. More than two-thirds of Vivaldi's 500-plus concertos are for solo instrument, violin, most plentifully at more than 230 concertos, bassoon, cello, oboe, and even mandolin, but no keyboards. Most of them are still relative rarities in the concert hall. Even the Four Seasons, one of the most familiar works of classical music today, was almost unknown in 1947 when Louis Kaufman, a Portland-based violinist, made the first recording of these four violin concertos. Vivaldi composed more than a dozen concertos for solo flute. Six of them were published in Amsterdam, a capital of fine printing, in 1729, as is Opus 10. The second one in the set, known as La Notte, the Night, stands out. It is the only one in a minor key and the only one with six movements, alternatingly slow and fast. 
although two of the other flute concertos, Il Gardellino, the Goldfinch, and La Tempesta di Mare, the Storm at Sea, are pictorial in the manner we now know best from the Four Seasons, nothing outshines Vivaldi's imagination in depicting the demons and night fantasies in La Notte. Vivaldi sets the tone in his slow, anxious first movement, haunted by long flute trills over ominous rhythmic patterns. The second movement, Phantasmi, Ghosts, is frantic and tormented, but it quickly gives way to a somber, slow aria that even more quickly turns to an agitated, quivering presto. But it is the static fifth movement, Il Sonno, Sleep, that reveals Vivaldi's understanding that with nothing more than a few well-chosen chords, music can convey our deepest feelings. This movement recalls both the music and the sonnet on which it is based from Autumn in the Four Seasons, fired by Bacchus's liquor, many end their enjoyment in slumber. The final allegro is music of breathless urgency. The C major concerto, Per la Solanita di San Lorenzo, written for the feast day of San Lorenzo, the day on which it was first performed, is not composed for a single soloist or even a quartet of soloists, but for an entire ensemble of soloists. In one sense, it is a precursor of the concerto for orchestra form that became popular in the 20th century, in which the spotlight moves around the group from one instrument to another. After a stately introduction, the festive opening Allegro Molto fairly bursts with invention as ideas are tossed among the instruments in between the great full ensemble pillars of the Ritonello passages. Prominence is given to the two violins, but they are often partnered and echoed in various ways by flutes, oboes, clarinets, and bassoon. As a bracing contrast in pace and sonority, the middle movement is an eloquent duet for violin and cello. The finale returns to music of great grandeur and energy, much of it dominated by music for the solo violins and often propelled by furiously racing scales. It is a score that seems to celebrate not just a single saint, but the very glory of music itself. Program notes by Philip Husher on Concertos by Antonio Vivaldi. And now on to music by Handel, the Water Music Suite Number 1, the performance time around 32 minutes. Unlike his contemporaries Bach, born just 19 days later, Vivaldi, and Telemann, Handel has never gone out of fashion. His oratorio, Messiah, has helped to keep his name alive, of course, but other pieces, such as the majestic aria Ombra Mai Fu from the opera Circe, better known to amateur pianists and greatest hits record producers as Handel's Largo, the lively set of pieces he wrote to accompany an evening of fireworks, and his engaging suites of water music also have been widely performed, even in times when Baroque music was neither well-known nor appreciated. Handel was among the most popular composers of his day, and particularly after he visited London in 1710 and then moved there for good. In 1712, he commanded a huge following and was in great demand, both as a composer and performer, he excelled in organ and harpsichord, for the rest of his life. After he became a British subject in 1727, he started spelling his name George Frederick Handel rather than Georg Friedrich Handel, which appears on his birth certificate. 
Raised in northern Germany, where he received a thorough musical education and became a friend of Telemann, and later trained in the operatic business in Italy, Handel arrived in London an unusually cosmopolitan composer. Determined to make a name for himself with London's opera-going public, he succeeded with his first attempt, Rinaldo, which not only included much dazzling music, some of it borrowed from works he had written in Italy, but real spectacle as well, including, in one aria, the release of a flock of sparrows that set the audience buzzing. It was with the water music that he made his earliest indelible impression on the London public at large, his first big splash, as it were, on July 17, 1717, some six years after the triumph of Rinaldo. On Wednesday evening, at about eight, the king took water at Whitehall in an open barge, begins the daily current report of the extravaganza accompanied by what we now know as Handel's water music. King George I, it was his successor, King George II, who started the tradition of standing for the Hallelujah Chorus, and a large group of English nobility sailed up the Thames River that evening to Chelsea, where they were served supper. So many persons of quality attended, and there were so many boats that the whole river, in a manner, was covered. Apparently, the party didn't break up until three in the morning. The king arrived home at St. James's Palace at about 4.30. Although royal barge processions were common under George I to meet the ships of visiting dignitaries or for special holiday cruises, none boasted background music as lavish as the score Handel provided in 1717. According to the Daily Current, one of the river barges was reserved just for the musicians, wherein were fifty instruments of all sorts who played the finest symphonies composed express for this occasion by Mr. Handel, which His Majesty liked so well that he caused it to be played over three times in going and returning. Handel's band evidently kept going until the king himself was safely back on land, more than eight hours of service, long before unions regulated such things. In 1734, Handel's publisher, John Walsh, started selling suites of what he advertised as celebrated water music, the first important printed score, minus an adjective and a final K, of today's much-loved water music. Walsh had already published selected movements in other collections. In 1743, the year of the first London performance of Messiah, he issued a transcription of the water music for solo harpsichord. But it wasn't until 1788, nearly three decades after the composer's death, that the complete water music was finally published in full score. It's likely that the tradition of grouping Handel's vast assortment of musical numbers into three distinct suites began with that publication, not with the composer. The first of the suites is sometimes called a horn suite because of the prominence of those instruments, introduced into an English orchestra, by the way, for the first time in the water music. The second is identified by the use of trumpets, and the more intimate third is assumed to represent indoor music that accompanied the royal dinner. Each of the three suites begins with an obligatory grand overture and ends with jubilant music. 
In between comes a loose assortment of lovely slow movements and traditional dances, including the courtly minuet, an elegant dance in triple meter, the lively French bourrée, a folk dance in duple meter, and in the first two suites, the quintessentially British hornpipe, one of Handel's first efforts to become simply Handel. Program notes by Philip Husher on the water music by Handel. My name is Rich Caparella. Thanks for listening.